Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, Christ Church. My name is Drake, and it is my joy to serve as one of the student ministers here in our family. And uh, this morning, I have the distinct privilege of re- leading us through Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 34. So if you have a Bible or a tablet, if you would flip or scroll your way through that or to that uh, scripture, I would appreciate that. We're going to title our talk today, Jesus the Healer, or week 61 of the Gospel Series, whichever you prefer. And uh, as you're flipping or scrolling your way to the scripture, I would love for you to think back to your childhood. Specifically, when you were a child, where would you hide things in your house? Maybe it was the spot where you would play hide and seek and nobody would ever find you in this spot or where you hid all of your money in a mattress or in a jar or maybe just where you hid your toys so that your siblings would never find them and play with them. Where would you hide things when you were a child? My birthday is in six days, and it has me in a nostalgic, nostalgic, nostalgic mood thinking about all the good birthdays that I have had in the past. My parents are incredibly loving and nurturing, and their care for my siblings and I was always especially obvious around our birthdays. And we would get to have two parties. The first party is my siblings and I would get to invite any of our friends that we wanted to to go do whatever we wanted. My brother and I would usually go paintballing or laser tagging, and I, I don't really know what my sister did because she never invited me to her parties. And the second party that we got to have was our extended family party, and this was the party that mattered because as a kid, this is where the big gifts came in. So we got to invite all of our extended family. Now I'm from the Tulsa area, and a lot of my grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins lived in the Tulsa area as well. So they would all come to our house. We would have cake and ice cream in the works. And then the birthday kid would get to open presents. It was at one of these birthday parties that my parents made a mistake that would cause them headache for years to come. Now, my brother Chase was probably turning seven or eight, and a week before the party, my parents came to me and they said, Drake, We are going to hide Chase's present in your closet so that he doesn't know where it is. And you are under no circumstances to tell him where his present is. And I thought, this is the dumbest idea ever. My brother is surely going to find his present in my closet. He always looks for his present. We're friends. He hangs out in my room. I hang out in his room. He's going to find his present. But sure enough, my parents were right. My brother didn't get anywhere close to finding his gift. My parents had to send him on the most obvious scavenger hunt before he and he got, he got close to finding his gift. And it was at Chase's birthday party that year that I realized the greatest solution to the biggest problem I had as a 10-year-old, the problem of dirty clothes. Now, I realized that if I didn't want to take my dirty clothes downstairs to the hamper, I could stuff them in the back of my closet and nobody would know the difference. It was a pure gold find. I was excited, but my parents hated it, and it did not solve, they did not solve that problem until I graduated high school, and now it's my wife's problem to deal with. And uh, I, I realized that the only bad thing about being married is that I have to share a closet, and I've lost my hiding spot for my dirty clothes. So if any of you veteran husbands can find me after the service and give me some pointers on where to stuff my clothes, I would appreciate that very much. Now, Matthew 9, 27 through 34. It contains a story about three men who didn't, in the spiritual sense, have the same privilege of privacy that you and I have. When I say privilege of privacy, I mean the ability to stuff things into the back of a closet or into a mattress that we don't want people to see, we don't want people to know about. They didn't have that privilege 
that you and I have. But they did experience healing. And we're going to read their story, but if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. What you hide can't be healed. Matthew 9, 27 through 34 says this. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees, losers, said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This morning, I want to remind us of two truths and, and encourage us and challenge us to do something that's going to require a lot of vulnerability. But before we begin doing that, we should ask God to bless our time of study. So if you would, bow your heads with me as I pray, or you can whisper a prayer to God yourself. God, we are grateful for this opportunity each and every week to come and to to study your word. And today, God, as we study a passage that isn't necessarily a popular passage throughout church history, God, it it is a significant passage. God, in this story, is significant for three men who experienced healing in the name of Jesus. And I believe that this morning it will be a significant passage for those of us who are needing to experience healing by Jesus. And so I ask that you would help us to make our focus of this morning Jesus. Give us a clear vision of Jesus so that we can see him well. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. This morning I want to remind you, the first truth I want to remind us of is that Jesus has the ability to heal. Now, the first two men in our story, they were the ones who were blind and they were following Jesus along the road and they were calling out, have mercy on us. And they use this title, Son of David. Son of David is a messianic title and God's people were expecting a Messiah. The Messiah is someone who would come to rule as king to God's kingdom and would establish salvation and blessing for God's people on earth. And they were right. And that Jesus was the Messiah and that he would come and he would experience or bring salvation and blessing. But they wanted him to set up political salvation and military blessing. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up their own empire for God's people. Now, could have Jesus done that? Yeah, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. But that's not why Jesus came. He refused to do any such thing. Because the salvation and blessing that he would bring and that he did bring is different than what the Jews had anticipated. Now, when I, was a, when I was in school, I had to go to the principal's office three times for what you might call less than positive reasons. Now, is there anybody, in else, anybody else in here willing to admit that they've been to the principal's office for less than positive reasons by a show of hands? Great, now we know how to look out for it. When I was in the eighth grade, I had to make one of these less than positive trips to the principal's office. It was actually science fair day, and I was presenting a project that was sure to pull in a mean participation trophy. I was in the gym, and the secretary came over the loudspeakers and said, "Uh, Drake Holderman, please come to the office. Drake Holderman, please come to the office. Drake Holderman, to the office. Thank you. All my friends started saying, oh, and I knew why I had an invitation to the principal's office, and it wasn't good. And I walked down to the office, and the secretary greeted me, and she said, you need to sit here in the chair until your dad gets here to talk to Mrs. Hodge. Now, I knew I was in trouble because I had to go talk to Mrs. Hodge, but I knew everything was going to be okay because my dad, who also happens to be a principal, was on his way to overthrow the regime of the Owasso 8th grade center. 
Mr. Dad was coming to save the day. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting on Mr. Dad. I'm stoked. I'm pumped. I'm ready to stick it to the man. And Mr. Dad walks in. I say, what's up, Mr. Dad? He said, sit down. I said, yes, sir. It was at this point that my faith in Mr. Dad began to shake a little bit. I didn't, I didn't know whose side he was on anymore. I was confident that he was on my side, but that was weird, Mr. Dad. And so they go into the Mrs. Hodge's office, and it seems like hours that they're in there. I'm just, you know, sitting there in the, in the chair. My palms are sweaty. My weak arms are heavy. My mom's spaghetti on my sweater already. And, and uh, I'm sitting there, and Mrs. Hodge comes out and says, Drake, you can come in here now. And so I walk into the, the office, and my dad and I are sitting on one side of Mrs. Hodge's desk, and Mrs. Hodge and a police officer are sitting on the other side of the desk, and you don't even know what it was. Miss <laughs> Hodge looks at me and says, Drake, she was a very sweet woman, Drake, the other day, were you throwing candy out of the bus at cars on your way to wrestling practice? And I had been, but I said, no, I did never do any such thing. And then that police officer said, Mr. Holderman, do you mind telling us why we have you on video throwing candy out of the bus at cars on the way to wrestling practice? I didn't say anything. I remember very vividly in that moment, my dad picking up his chair from my side of the desk and moving it to their side of the desk. (laughs) Mr. Dad had betrayed me. Now, the Jews were anticipating a Messiah. And they were anticipating this Messiah to come in to overthrow Rome. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to overthrow or, or put an oppressive rule on anybody. Jesus came to overthrow the evil, ruling the hearts of God's people. And my dad's intent... I don't even know what my dad's intention was. He was just a jerk in that moment and betrayed me. But you get the point. Jesus had a different focus. His intention was not to overthrow overthrow Rome. His intention was to heal the hearts of man. And he would heal disease and he would heal sickness in both the physical and the spiritual sense. Jesus has the ability to heal. We see that over and over again. It's proven in our scripture today. The first two men who who were men who were blind, it says, as Jesus went on from there, Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David, Messiah. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? That's a big question. And they respond with big faith, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. They were healed. And the man who had been mute because of demon possession experienced healing as well. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been, past tense, had been mute, spoke. The first truth I want to remind you of this morning is that Jesus has the ability to heal. And Jesus has the ability to heal you. Earlier, I bet that most every single one of us has a sin, shortcoming, or infirmity stuffed in the back of our spiritual closet that, that we don't want anybody to know about because we're embarrassed, or we feel shame, or we're we're too prideful. Jesus has the ability to heal, but what you hide can't be healed. And it's not just that Jesus has the ability to heal, and Jesus also has the desire to heal. It shouldn't come to a surprise, or as a surprise to you, that I would say Jesus has the desire to heal if you've been a part of the gospel series for any length of time. One of the reasons that I love this sermon series, it it doesn't skip over the small stories. Those small stories where we see Jesus' character, and his character is laced with compassion, empathy, action, and love. He has the desire 
to heal us. As we've been going through the gospel series, we've, we've seen a little girl and a grown woman healed. That was our story last week. Two weeks ago, we healed a demon-possessed man. Jesus calmed the storm to keep his disciples safe. Jesus broke the law by healing a woman on the Sabbath who had been bent over for 18 years. Jesus brought a widow's son back from the dead. And then there was the centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law. And they were both healed of their sickness. 364 days ago, we studied Jesus' first miracle that he ever did, which was turning water into wine. And in that, he demonstrated his care for people. We've had a year, almost, of seeing Jesus' desire to heal people. And I'm getting into next week's scripture a little bit, but in Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36, Matthew writes this, and Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And it's not just physical infirmities that Jesus came to heal. Jesus also came to heal us of our sin. At the very beginning of Matthew chapter nine, Matthew records the story of a man who was paralyzed and his friends dropped him through a roof right down to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders of the day were giving him a hard time. They were critiquing this. And and to prove his ability and his desire to heal this man of his sins, he said, take up your mat and walk. And the man walked out of that house, shutting up the religious critics. Jesus has the desire to heal. He also has the ability to heal. So here's our challenge today for us, for those of us who have stuffed our sin, shortcoming, or infirmities into the back of a closet so that nobody knows they're there. Let us go to Jesus for healing. Earlier I said the phrase, the the privilege of privacy, in reference to what I think a lot of us have when it comes to our sin, shortcoming, or infirmity, the ability to stuff it back into a closet so that nobody knows that it's there. But if I think that I, I think if I adjusted the phrase a little bit and made it more honest and realistic for what our experience is when it comes to privacy, I would call it the pain of privacy. Romans 3.23 makes it clear that every single one of us has sinned. And all sin is loaded with complimentary baggage. No sin is free of hurt, which means that every single one of us who has sinned is or has experienced pain as a result of our sin. And Jesus is the one who has the authority, the ability, and the desire to heal it. So let us go to Jesus to experience healing. And I don't, I don't know that I need to describe what this pain feels like because many of us know it firsthand. But I've often heard that it, it's like a big weight that you just can't lift off. No matter how hard you try, it's always there. It's like a weight that you wake up uh, in the morning, you take it to the breakfast table, and it gets in the way of your time with your family, and you don't get to send them off with, a, with, a, with love, and with a good goodbye. And you take it to work, and it's on your mind all day, and so you don't do the work, you don't get it done that what you need to get done, and then you come home, and because you're fatigued from carrying that weight around all day, you still don't have the love to give to your family, and you take it to bed with you, and you're lost in thoughts of restlessness. I had a friend a few weeks ago who confessed something to me, and the the sentence right after his confession was, it feels like a, a big weight has been lifted from my shoulder. And he had only been carrying this around for months. Some of us have been carrying our stuff around for years. That weight, fatiguing us down, stressing us out. And the only way to experience healing is to go to Jesus for healing. So the question is, how do we get to Jesus? 
And I'm here to say there's not one right answer. In fact, the men in our story, they got to Jesus in different ways. If you remember the first two men, the men who were blind, they were following Jesus along a road. I I imagine they were extroverts, the kind of people that are in church yelling amen and hallelujah. They were people who were loud and boisterous, and they wanted Jesus to know that they wanted to experience healing. Have mercy on us, son of David, is what they said. They were going to Jesus. They were going to get to him. They busted into a living room to get to Jesus. They wanted to experience healing. They ran to him. And then there's the third guy, the man who was mute because of his demon possession. He was a little bit different. He was more like me and probably more like a lot of you. This man, the scripture says, was brought to Jesus. He didn't go to Jesus himself. Someone brought him to Jesus. And it's okay. It's not that you have to go to Jesus yourself as long as you get to Jesus. Some of you are sitting here and somebody brought you to church this morning and now you're hearing about Jesus. The point is that you get to Jesus. So how do we get to Jesus when Jesus isn't in a living room and a house that we can bust into? And I don't really like the answer. It's not something that I'm comfortable with, but it's the truth. And I need to read it to you from James 5. Elijah's already read it this morning, but this is what it says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If we have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If we want to experience the healing then we have to give up the privacy because the pain of privacy will only be rid of when we give up the the privilege of privacy. And uh, a couple of months ago, I took uh, some junior high students, my wife Andrea and I and a couple other uh, leaders took some junior high students, took about 25 students to go watch a movie. And if you want to enjoy a movie, don't take 25 junior high students with you because you'll be hit in the head with popcorn throughout the entire movie. But the movie we went to see was the movie called Wonder. And Wonder tells the story of a fictional, the fictional story of a young boy named Augie Pullman. And Augie was born with a facial deformity. And it shows his journey of going to school for the first time. And it's cute because at the beginning, he starts out by he's trying to wear an astronaut helmet to hide his facial deformity. But his parents take it off of him and he goes through school. And those kids who were throwing popcorn at me at the beginning of the movie were in tears at the end of the movie. Because they saw how somebody with a, a facial deformity could interact with, 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 with a school in a normal way. And that he didn't have to be ashamed of what his face looked like. And the same, I don't, I don't want to downplay his pain or anything. And I don't want to downplay the pain of the men in our story today. Because they did experience pain. But the more important thing is that they experienced healing. Because they weren't trying to hide. They couldn't hide. Everybody already knew their infirmity. And I think what makes the, the pain of privacy so real for us is that we think we have something to lose. Maybe it's losing the, the trust of a spouse or, or, your, or your position at work. Maybe it's losing what you think might be losing your standing before God or within this church. I don't know what you think you have to lose, but I do know what you have to gain. Healing in the name of Jesus. We have to give up the privilege of privacy if we want to experience or if we want the pain of privacy to be done away with. Because what we hide can't be healed. 
And I heard this truth presented in a story form to me, and I want to read you the same story. This story is about a, about a, a, a prince who had something to hide, but more importantly, it's about a king who had healing to offer. I ask that you give me your ear as I read this story for us. It begins like this. There was once a great and noble king whose land was terrorized by a wicked and crafty dragon. Like a massive bird of prey, the scaly beast delighted in ravaging villages with his fiery breath. Helpless victims ran from their burning homes only to be snatched into the dragon's jaws or talons. Those devoured instantly were deemed more fortunate than those carried back to the dragon's lair to be devoured at his leisure. The king led his sons and knights in many valiant battles against the serpent. Riding alone in the forest, one of the king's sons heard his name purred soft and low. Lost in thoughts of restlessness and loneliness in his father's house, the young prince thought for a moment that he was hearing things. And he felt a strange hesitation in his heart. Again, his name was called. And in the shadows of the ferns and trees curled among the boulders lay the dragon. The heavy-lidded eyes of the creature fastened ablaze on the prince and, and the reptilian mouth stretched into a friendly smile. Don't be alarmed, said the dragon. His gray wisp of smoke rose lazily from his nostrils. I am not what your father thinks of me. What are you then? demanded the prince, instinctively drawing his sword as he pulled in the reins to keep his frightened horse from bolting. I am more than what you've been told, my prince. I am delight. I am pleasure. And the prince was at once fascinated and somehow afraid of this beautiful creature. Noticing his hesitation, the serpent cried, Ride on my back and you will experience what few can only imagine, what no king has yet experienced. Come now, believe me, I have no harmful intentions. Truly, I seek only a friend, someone to share my flights with me. Have you never dreamed of flying, my prince, never longed to soar in the clouds, never longed to take what isn't yours? And the prince felt intoxicated. Visions of soaring high above the, the forested hills of his father's kingdom drew the prince hesitantly from his horse. Oh, the dragon was stunning, captivatingly beautiful. And the prince had never seen emerald so green as the dragon's coat. As he marveled at its strange beauty, his curiosity brought him closer. Knowingly, the dragon unfurled one great webbed wing, brilliantly adorned, adorned with gemstones stolen from some kingdom past. Come, my prince, come ride with me. And in one fateful decision, the prince sheathed his sword and placed his hands and feet on the brilliant stones, climbing atop the emerald staircase to the serpent's back. The dragon rose immediately to its feet. The prince had been deceived of its size, for now it seemed far more powerful and immense than many horses. The creature snapped its great wings twice, launching them into the sky. And the prince's apprehension melted into exhilaration as he felt the awesome rule of the wind beneath him and the fragrant breeze on his face. From then on, he met the dragon often, but secretly. For how could he tell his father or his brothers or knights that he had befriended the kingdom's greatest enemy? The serpent taught the prince many wicked things, and at first he was revolted and ashamed by them, but more and more he found himself obsessed, even captivated by his newfound secret. Quickly, the prince began to feel separate, separate from everyone, and the kingdom's concerns were no longer his. More and more he spent time alone or with the creature, the skin on the prince's legs began to callous from gripping the dragon's rigid back. His hands grew rough and hardened. He began wearing gloves to hide the malady. After many nights of riding, he discovered scales growing on the backs of his hands as well. And with dread, he realized his fate if he were to continue to spend time with the dragon. And so, he resolved to return to the dragon no more. But after a few nights, he again sought out the dragon. 
having been tortured with desire. And so in this way, it transpired many times over. No matter what the determination, the prince eventually found himself pulled back as if by the cords of an invisible web. The dragon's charm, so gentle in the beginning, now held the, the prince more tightly than he had the will to resist. Silently, patiently, the serpent waited. He always waited. And one cold, moonless night, their excursion became a foray against the sleeping village. Torching the thatched roofs with fiery blasts from his nostrils, the dragon roared with delight when terrified victims fled from their burning homes. Swooping in, the serpent belched again in flames engulfed a cluster of screaming villagers. The prince closed his eyes tightly in an attempt to shut out the horror and the carnage, but he couldn't. And in bitter remorse, his heart sinking in shame, he tried to hide himself. But the flames of the burning village lighted on his face. In the pre-dawn hours when the prince crept back from his attack, the road outside his father's castle usually remained empty. But not tonight. Tonight, terrified refugees streamed into the protective walls of the castle. The prince attempted to slip through the crowd to close himself in his chambers, but some of the survivors stared and pointed toward him. He was there! One woman cried out. I saw him on the dragon's back! Others nodded their heads in riotous agreement. Some only stared in disbelief and growing recognition. Horrified, the prince saw his father, the king. The king looked up at the angry cries and his eyes found the princes. The son fled, hoping to escape into the night, but the guards apprehended him as if he were a common thief. They brought him into the great hall where his father sat solemnly on his throne. People on every side railed against the prince. Banish him! He heard one of his own brothers cry out. Burn him alive! Other voices shouted. Let him burn the way he burned our children and our homes. As the king arose from his throne, bloodstains shone darkly on his royal robes, and the crowd fell silent in expectation of his decree. The prince, who could not bear to look into his father's face, just stared down at the floor. Take off your gloves and tunic, the king commanded. Was his shame not already enough? The prince had hoped for a quick death without further humiliation, but now he resigned himself to his fate. He obeyed slowly, agonizingly, dreading to have his metamorphosis uncovered before the kingdom. Sounds of revulsion rippled through the crowd, and parents covered their children's eyes at the sight of the prince's thick, scaled skin and the ridge now growing upward along his spine. But the king strode toward his son, and the prince, he steadied himself. He fully expected a backhanded blow from his father, even though he had never been struck so before. Instead, his father pulled him to himself, embraced him, holding him tightly, and he wept. And in shocked disbelief, the prince buried his face against his father's shoulders in a way he hadn't done for too long. And tears began to burn down his scorched cheeks. Do you wish to be freed from the dragon, my son? The prince answered in despair, Father, I've wished it so many times, but there remains no hope for me. Not alone, said the king. You cannot win against the serpent alone. But I am no longer your son. I'm half beast, sobbed the prince bitterly. But his father replied, My blood still runs in your veins. My nobility has always been stamped deep within your soul. And with his face still hidden tearfully in his father's embrace, the prince heard the king and struck the crowd. The dragon is crafty. Some fall victim to his wiles, for he is a great deceiver. Some fall to his violence, for he has only wickedness in his heart. There will be mercy for all who wish to be freed. For who else among you has ridden the dragon? The prince lifted his head to see someone emerge from the crowd. To his amazement, he recognized his older brother, 
one who had been celebrated throughout the kingdom for his onslaughts against the dragon. Others came. By the dozens they came, and they kept on coming. Some came still smelling of the smoke and sweat from the carnage in the village. Some came weeping. Others were hanging their heads in shame. The king, the king embraced them all. Jesus has the ability to heal. Jesus has the desire to heal. He's the king with his arms stretched wide. So go to Jesus for healing. Let us confess our sins and pray for one another so that we may be healed. What you hide can't be healed. Let's pray. God, we find our refuge in you. You are the healer. God, we recognize that it's not by our own works, but simply by grace that we are healed. God, I ask for us that you would soften our hearts. You would give us trust and confidence in your son, Jesus, that when we, when we open up to others and confess our sins to others, that we will be healed. God, give this community love and mercy and grace so that we can experience healing like the two men who were blind, but now they see like the man who was, who was mute, but now he gets to sing songs of praise. And like the prince, the metamorphosis that he, that he experienced is devastating, but the hope of the story is that we have a father who loves us, a father who can heal us. So God, encourage our hearts to turn to Jesus. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.